Mics down and away we go. Welcome to Under the Checkered Flag, the fun podcast with your favourite bunch of unknowledgeable Australians. And the one Kiwi who is not here, unfortunately. Kate, we love and miss you. We hope you return to us soon. She's not dead, people. She's just incredibly busy. But tonight we have Steph, who should be to my side, I think. Uh, Delta and Al. So we are going to start the day off. We're going to start off with something a little different. Haven't done this before, but we are coming up into Canada. So just as a little preview, Canada, 70 laps, 305.27 kilometres, 4.361 kilometres of the circuit, and the lap record currently held by Valtteri Bottas from 2019 is one minute and 13 seconds. The tyres the this week are the C3 is the hard, the C4 is the medium, and the C5 as the soft. All right, let's get started with the predictions. Who wants to tell me who they think is going to win? Look, I reckon... Max, 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 super Max. No surprise, Max. Max. Um, I mean, I, I hate that song, but even I can't. At this point. I reckon it's death's going to be Max, um, Checo, and look, no, it's not going to happen, but I'm going to throw Lance in there just because it's his home race and I like to be the underdog. Fair enough. Anybody else got a fun or and or rogue prediction? Um, I've gone, I'm going with the champion's power podium. Red Bull's unstoppable, so Max obviously P1. Mm-hmm. Um, Fernando Alonso P2. And mm-hmm. then I'm hoping these Mercedes upgrades stick and we get Lewis Hamilton P3. Okay, okay. Delta? I'm thinking a Red Bull sandwich. So Max and then Lewis, maybe. And then Checo. Well, I have gone with a wait hang on that's showing me spain give me a second what did i go with oh my god i've, I've lost it i don't know on the game. yeah oh, hang yeah. on uh, there we go edit predictions no i don't want to edit so i have gone with mr verstappen i too have gone with lewis hamilton i don't remember putting sergio perez there but i obviously did so hey I think I'm with you, Delta, on that one. That's my view is that we're going to get a Red Bull sandwich. Either that or I think maybe George can get back up there. But it's a 50-50 for me. I'm not too sure. It depends on if George is on on, on his fuck around and find out bullshit again. Well, does anybody know what Kate's predictions were? Oh, she got no faith in Max. Okay. That's the roguish shout I think I've heard, but Max crashing according yeah, to Kate. Yeah, I think that's, that's what she's betting on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we're all hoping for. At this point, I think even Max wants to crash. He's bored. Look, but... He something different. Hey, 
he was happy to see Lewis up there with him in Spain. So, I mean, has he mellowed out? Are we not going to see any more 2021 antics? I certainly hope not. But moving away from that particular bomb onto somebody who certainly bombed things and not in a good way, Nikki Latifi. Now, earlier in the week, some of us were discussing about the fact that he has disappeared from the face of the planet. The Instagram has not been updated since he left Formula One. His website is still running, though the email address, you just get like back a generic, I'm really sorry, can't be contacted response. And there were all of these rumours at the end of last year that he was going to follow some of the F2 drivers who failed to make it into F1 over to IndyCar. He hasn't been seen. I want you guys to tell me what you think world-renowned millionaire son Nicholas Latifi is up to these days. What are we thinking? I reckon he's just chilling, laying low, and then he'll rock up in the paddock on the weekend. <laughs> I have a feeling, yeah, he's probably going to rock up this weekend. That wouldn't surprise me. Being in Canada of all places. Yeah. Out. I mean, I'd like to see him again, but I think he's just I think he's just taking some time to lay low, taking some time to assess his life for the future um, post F1. But I am hoping to see him on the weekend. I think it would be nice to see him in the paddock. I agree. I've been I've been missing a bit of goat teefy. I'll, I'll be honest. I kind of feel like right now we need some goat teefy because. This no, no safety car bullshit, it cannot be allowed to stand. It's boring. I don't know who I've said it to, but on our, we've got the F1 Play League and my only guess that I could ever always get right was Latifi would be the first person out. You told me. I and haven't gotten that right yet this year. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you told us at the end of a podcast recording one night. It's just, it's boring, okay? The fact that Monaco, Monaco, no retirements. Dumbo, I mean, it's good, but it's... It's just not, though. From an entertainment perspective, it's just not. Someone needs to step up and take GoTV's spot. It should be Logan Sargent, if we're being 100% honest. Like, it's more likely to be... Nick DeVries, I think, if we're going to put the rookies under. I don't know. I think Nick's got the skill set where I'm not convinced Logan does. Nick is a champion in other I was in watching, other sports. Just remember that. I was that. watching Grill the Grid today and um, they did a, you know, like how they do the your driver, um, kind of like your driver rating thing. Mm-hmm. They did that, and I'm pretty sure Logan beat Nick, but I'm not 100% sure. And if he didn't, he wasn't that far off him either. Both Logan and Nick beat Oscar. Yeah, I think they were together. Yeah, well, that wasn't tied. Fine. 
But as George I do want to Russell give a himself did say, good, as George Russell himself did say, you can't lose positions when you start from the back. That is true. <laughs> I do want to shout so, out how good the Ferrari boys went with. They just they just had so much fun, those two Ferrari boys. And I've discovered that Carlos's way of showing affection is by kicking people. I'm not sure that's affection. I think that's referred to as either bullying or no, assault. No, he does it with affection. You can tell. It's only, a, it's only a small light kick. It's okay. Still thinks it counts as assault, but we'll, we'll let it pass. We'll, we'll let it slide. We'll let it um, slide. While we're on the topic of Ferraris and affection. Don't, real quick, don't mind the cat in the backroom team. I'm sorry. I can't stop him. He's going to do what he's going to do. You saw the size of him just then. It's not worth it. He's not near my rock, so it's all right. I can't see him on my rock. <laughs> I can see him. Are you still on the rock? Yeah, I'm just chilling on the rock. Anyways, back to what I was saying. Um, did anyone see the Ferraris and their reaction to winning the 100-year anniversary of Le Mans? On their yeah. first Antonio attempt. And Antonio... Why am I having trouble with his name? Antonio Giovinazzi. Boop, boop. He looks so different now. Well, to me, he looks different. That's what happens when you leave the toxicity of Formula One and actually go somewhere <laughs> where you know you've got a shot at winning. It's also what happens when you get rid of the Jesus locks. Oh, but I, I still refer to him as the Italian Jesus. That's all I'm going to know him as forever. <laughs> also, oh, while man. we're on Ferrari, I just want to say how cute is it that every like every grand prix arthur sends charles past the duchy every grand prix i'm like that's cute that's the cute little brother ritual i adore it it is pretty cute i can't lie however moving on I do have a bit of a serious topic that I would like us to discuss. Now, I apologise in advance, team. This is kind of my expertise, but I do think it. we're starting to see it have an impact and it's important for us as fans to discuss. So what are we thinking about the effect that climate change and natural disasters are starting to have on the races? We've already lost Imola this year. There was some chatter over the last couple of days that these Canadian wildfires could have an impact and if things kind of still get, like there's still the possibility they could get worse, we could potentially lose the Canadian Grand Prix if it starts to affect air quality in Montreal. How are we feeling about that? Like do we think that we should be forcing them to race? Should we be finding a solution that if they can't physically race at that time, they come back? What do we think? I think if they can't race, they should come back. But, yeah, definitely don't put them, you know, in danger. But, I mean, uh, I think it was Jeddah last year. There were bombs or something and they still raced them. So I don't – I still see them racing them. 
the concern the concern there the concern with the air quality was not regarding the drivers it was regarding the cars because if you get smoke particles and actual little embers and things like that those cars are pretty flammable they're going to go kapoom before anyone can do anything i mean hey we'd get our safety car we would, but I'm not up for a Roman Grosjean 2.0. Thank you. No. So, no, thank you. Or a Pierre Gasly in like FP2 in like Baku, or um, Jack Dylan in Baku. Yeah, I'm. I'm not here for that. I'm, look, I'm happy to watch a car on fire any day, but not when there's a driver even remotely near to it. I think the concern is is that. As these events start to happen more, we're going to start seeing more races be cancelled because of the fact that there might not be, as, say, the case of Imola, there's not the emergency response required for a, a Formula One event to take place because of the fact that they're responding to severe flooding in the area or they've been redeployed because there's been say a massive earthquake in Tokyo and suddenly we don't get Suzuka anymore. Do we think that we should just accept that this is something that we have to deal with now and I mean, just chalk it up to bad luck and move on or? It's, it's only going to get worse as we continue to see the effects on climate change and, you know, barring actual action on climate change for the F1, it's, I think one of the best things they can do is focus on grouping their races better so that like, like geographically, so that say you have to cancel Canada for wildfires, you can go do Mexico, you can go do Brazil, whatever, you can go do the US for a bit, and then you can just come back to it after. Because these are, the problems are just going to get more and bigger and more common um if we if we just kind of leave it and cancel the event every time you're going to get to a point where we're canceling you know five six races a, a, a season i guess uh, you go delta for me personally it didn't really concern me it wouldn't really concern me if canada got cancelled this weekend um and there was no makeup race because you know, there's so many races in the calendar so far we're all only going to get more. So, I mean, as a from a fan going there, it would be a pain in the ass if they're just going to cancel it through no fault of anyone. But I think it's especially annoying when series like in Imola, where the F2 and F3, who don't have that many opportunities to race throughout the year, don't get a makeup race somewhere else. I mean, F1, we've got, I think, 23 races this year. We've lost one already. We may lose a second. We've already lost two, actually, because we were supposed to have 24. That's right. Um, so we've down to 22 already compared to, I think, 12 races for F2 or, say, you know, it's there's a big difference there in the calendars. And, I mean, it would be nice to make, have a makeup race for F1, but I don't think we'll really ever get one. 
I guess the other thing that we would have to start considering as fans is while the FIA and Formula One management did make the call on Imola pretty early, we have seen before that they leave it until the last possible minute, a la Australia 2020. And do we potentially should we potentially go down a route where we leave ourselves open to it like formula one trying to push through hoping that the situation gets better hoping that oh they might be able to get say emergency responders back or the wildfires don't get too bad or whatever the situation may be and then we end up with another situation where spa in 2021 where you've got people who are sitting there in torrential rain that should have been called off they don't get a race they get two laps under a safety car where drivers in p13 backwards are like i can't see shit or we end up with australia 2020 where again you've got fans waiting from i i know some people who on the friday were waiting there from 4 30 in the morning who wait until the gates open and then as gates are supposed to open, you're suddenly told, oh, whoops, nope, sorry, sucks to be you, not happening now. Refer yourself back to Ticketmaster for a refund. That may not, like, that may or may not be forthcoming. Do we as fans, should we be accepting that or that this is something that we have to kind of acknowledge that because there is no there has been no action on climate change and these natural disasters are going to become more and more frequent. Is there a line where we should be calling it out where like Formula One may not, but where us as fans should be holding them accountable and saying, no, a decision needs to be made by here and too bad, so sad if the situation changes or like what do we think on that? I mean, I'd probably say... Thursday at the latest, like you let us know by Thursday if the race is going ahead or not. With things like Australia in 2020, that was a very unforeseen, like, yeah, we're right, we're going ahead, OMG, we're going into lockdown, no race. And it was a pretty, like, in the moment, this is what's happening as of right now. Because I know, like, that's what I know during new- I know during COVID, like that's I like I spent week after weekend after weekend wondering if I was actually gonna get to see my partner for a lockdown. So I'd watch to see if we were going into lockdown or not because of that. So I think in situations where it's something like this, where it's a wildfire or a natural disaster, yes, give us as much time as possible use a reasonable amount of time to say no we're not going to do it we don't feel it's safe but you know obviously there will be times where it's something sudden and something that you can't help and I think we just have to accept that sometimes we can't control everything. The issue with Australia and and this is something that I don't know if everyone's aware of but it's unconfirmed but there were reports that Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen left Thursday night they got on a plane Thursday afternoon and left the country because they knew it was not going ahead 
Now, if that's the case and they've then left it until 9 a.m. Friday morning to tell 100,000 people this is not going to happen, that's not good enough. I'm sorry. I do not care. We at that stage weren't quite, we were facing down a lockdown, but we weren't, I, I don't think that was being thrown around as like, oh, it's going to happen right this second. Um, my understanding of the time was there was a McLaren mechanic who possibly had COVID um, and based on that threat alone, it was called. They said, nope, not doing it. Everybody pack up, go home. Season's done. Um, whether or not that's exactly what happened, obviously I'm not in the paddock. I don't know. That's just the rumours that I have heard. But I mean, when it's also... a situation like that, do we, should we, because I guess the other thing that as fans we need to take into account, especially as none of us live in Victoria, we've paid for flights, we've paid for a hotel. We, I don't know about everybody, but I know I go down at least a week beforehand. I know, Delta, you're looking at a couple of days after the Grand Prix next year. Say you're down there for two weeks should Formula One be responsible for reimbursing you your lost pay, your flights, your hotel, your food, all of that stuff that comes with that because of their lack of foresight? I think with, like, natural disasters and stuff, it kind of seems they don't have a proper policy in place internally. And... That's like the first step. They need a proper policy and they need that policy to be kind of like known by the fans so that we can expect, you know, they're going to call it by Wednesday. They're going to call it by Thursday. You know, we can expect, we know what to expect. Um, I think Australia was a bit different just given how wildly unknown of a situation it was. No sport policy, no corporate policy, like properly knew how to tackle that whole situation anyway but just we're gonna see more going forward way more going forward of these kind of Imola Canada disasters just have a policy and stick to the policy so everyone drivers mechanics teams you know fans everyone knows what's going on and when it's going to happen the argument against an against one singular policy is that because they operate in different jurisdictions, different things are declared as disasters in a different way. So what would be declared as a disaster perhaps in Canada because it's so widespread but also so sparsely populated and their, like, states span massive areas, you can have a wildfire at the top of Montreal that's massively affecting, or top of Quebec I think it is, massively affecting New York but not affecting Montreal so much where if that was say Victoria here in Australia it's a it's disaster's been declared here in Victoria like in Victoria so it's not exactly a situation where a one-size-fits-all policy is possible but there are solutions that can be put in place to as you said kind of give us an idea of okay start to like if we can see that this is happening we could see that we knew that flooding was happening in Imola a couple like from what Baku why not start coming out then and telling us okay we're in discussions with the Emilia Romagna like emergency management team we're checking to see 
what is this still going to be able to go ahead? We are being upfront with you. The same with Canada, letting us know, okay, well, is the air quality good enough for the cars to be racing? Because again, I don't particularly want to see a car blow up because it's inhaled like some kind of foreign object. I don't think that's right. But again, be open with the fans. Don't let the fans speculate. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know anything was happening in Canada until today. I'm just not up on current events. I knew there was like bad air quality in, I think, New York. Um, Because I saw someone with their vacuum outside their window going, I'm going to help, guys. But, yeah, I I personally didn't know it was in Canada. I was in a group chat and someone said something about the Canadian Grand Prix. I was like, wait, what have I missed? So I think they need to put something in place, but maybe some of us need to get up on current events. No, 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 please. As I, as I mentioned at the start, I'm doing a degree in disaster management, so this is my area of expertise. F1, hit me up. I'm happy to write you a policy. I have a degree in policy. I'm happy to come through, sort some stuff out, be like an emergency management liaison because you don't even have one of those and it's it's a shame. Please let me fix your shit for you. <laughs> but it is something that I do think we are starting to see more and more of. I can look across as Delta mentioned before, 2020, and you've got bombs going, like you've got an oil field being bombed less than 10 kilometres from the track. What the fuck? You let that go. You let them race, knowing that they could potentially be have a bomb dropped on the track. That's not okay. That was a driver decision. Was it? I think they took it. I think that they took it to the drivers and asked the drivers if they wanted to. And from what I am aware of, I'm pretty sure the driver said, yes, it's fine. But I do know that the drivers were consulted on that particular, that particular thing. I know they were consulted. I had seen some where some drivers were like, no, that's it. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. I don't think this is safe. I don't know how their GDPA works. I don't know if it's a majority over rules kind of situation or how all of that goes down. I'd be very I mean, interested to if know. They, so if somebody wants to come and explain it to us, please, we will have you on the pod. I would love to know. It could be a like even like if a driver says no, okay, well, we'll just get the reserve driver in if the reserve driver wants to do it. There are always options. It's just, I mean, coming back to one of my questions before, in these circumstances then, such as Spa 2021, Australia 2020, Imola 2023, should Formula One be held responsible for the loss of all expenses? I don't think so. I think, like, if you're going to Melbourne a week early or, like, staying after or whatever, stuff like that, you still get your holiday, you still get to go to Melbourne and I guess you don't get to go why you were going but you get to you get to go anyway um there's like consumer policies in most countries about that kind of stuff and they're not they're not responsible for the whole cost um that's just kind of standard practice 
practice because it would immediately bankrupt many companies if we did it that way and events would not be put on as much because the risk is just too high to them yeah I feel like that that is one of the conditions when you buy the ticket that um, if the event is called off um, you'll get a re- you can get a refund for the ticket but not for other expenses because, yeah, like Al said, not many companies are going to be able to sustain that for a very long time, and especially a company like Formula One, who is an international, travels internationally, it is already quite a hefty sport. Okay, so I, I hear what you're saying, and just to play devil's advocate here, take Imola, for example. You, It gets called off. The Wednesday before. You're due to leave that Thursday. You're only there for the course of the weekend. You are flying from Germany to Imola. Thursday morning you get in just before, like you get to go and have a look at the track on Thursday. You're then flying out Sunday after the race. Your hotel is now flooded. You're not going because all Let's say hypothetically the hotel's not flooded. The hotel is fine. You can still fly in, but it's now been cancelled. Does that change the situation? Because the only reason why you are there is now gone. You now have to try and scramble to get all of that money back because you, you're obviously not going to go to a disaster zone. You're just not going to do it. Most other companies will have their own policies. Most, like, the hotels and the, like, uh, airline, that's the word, uh, will have their own policies. And a lot of that will, like, account for disasters regardless of whether their hotel or their actual flight themselves is directly, like, not available. They'll have provisions for disasters in the area. Because, again, no, not not many people want to go to a disaster zone and it's like unless they're there to help they're kind of in the way I see what you're saying um I think that depends on individual hotels and stuff I know there are some that don't and all of that um I guess my next question and I'm totally I'm totally agreeing here with you I don't think Formula One should be held should be held completely liable. I think perhaps if it's at incredibly short notice, it's say a Friday morning or whatever before and people have already flown in, I think perhaps then it should be a bit more than just the t- price of the ticket back. Um, I think maybe double or triple time, like triple the price of the ticket just because I feel like that's, if you've known that there is something leading into this potentially not happening and you have not communicated that to the fans, that's poor management. Like there is, to me, there is absolutely no excuse that, and I can only really use Australia and Spa um, in 2021. Australia, we kind of knew that was, it was sort of a, oh shit, things have hit this point so quickly that nobody kind of knew what to do. I do think if the rumours of perhaps Seb and Kimmy leaving on the Thursday are correct and that there were drivers who knew it wasn't going to be happening, that's not okay. 
to then have people line up when there are already drivers on their way home. But then in terms of SPA in 2021, and I, I don't know if you guys have seen SPA 2021, but that bullshit washout, I don't feel like they got their money's worth. I feel like Formula One, you could see that was a possibility. It's the, it's the Ardennes. We all kind of know it's a possibility. But you could see long before we got to race day, you could see in the crashes that we were starting to have in practice on the Friday and then qualifying on the Saturday, that this was not going to end well. Should, we, should they have not called it before they got to that massively delayed start and then the two laps behind a safety car and then went, woo, half points? I mean, Spa's a bit of a weird one. We did kind of successfully get a quality emphasis on kind of. Um, yes, George, for your first P2. Um, and we did, like, we've had sort of similar rain situations that have amounted in a, a, a race that is not two laps behind a safety car. I think that monetarily, Spartak holders, from what I remember, that ended very poorly. But from what I can tell, they fixed that slightly in that Emilia Romagna tickets are all valid for next year. Refunds, I think, again, are a problem, which speaks to Formula One maybe learning would be nice. I mean, like, if they would learn, that would be nice. Um, learn from their past mistakes. But it's just, these situations are so touch and go, especially with, like, Spa. You can have that same situation and have a race, and you can have what we had in Spa where we had rain and we had nothing, and it was like, yeah. Kind of veering back off to what you said about Australia, that I think is a completely different compared to, like, Spa this year because remembering from roughly that time the whole world was on the like starting to shut down and Australia was one of the last and I think that was sort of not just F1's fault it was also the Australian government who was like oh we're going to keep it open we're going to keep it open everything's fine and I think maybe I haven't heard the Kinian said stuff. That was news to me. Um, but perhaps it wasn't, we know it's going to get called. It was, we don't know whether they're going to shut down the country overnight and we won't be able to get back home. And it was, let's get out while we can and maybe miss one race over the entire season or more than one race. Um, and yeah, that was different to our natural disasters because no one can really plan for what disaster management we have in a pandemic. Definitely can push it a little bit better now that we've recently had one, but especially at where we were at at the beginning of the season in 2020, it sort of wasn't wholly F1's fault. I'd agree with that sentiment. It wasn't wholly F1's fault. Um, and I do think they themselves have kind of acknowledged that it's 
they've had to learn from that. This is something that we are now going to have to kind of consider. This sort of epidemic is potentially going to happen again. I mean, no one knows. In regards to the other aspects around it, there was actually, and again, a lot of people probably don't know this, but um, in Australia, we had a pandemic prepared plan, which was for this exact scenario, which did talk about your international travel events like the Australian Open that happened literally a month beforehand. Like I think there was the space of maybe six weeks between the Oz Open finishing and the bushfire relief and stuff at the Oz Open and then all of this happening. Um, so that kind of stuff had been planned for by the federal government. They were just too slow to enact it and then failed to enact it further on. We, I definitely think if they had have enacted that plan that had been put together by epidemiologists, um, dis- like experts in their field, disaster management experts, people who understand how a pandemic happens like this, I think we could have had the season back potentially a lot quicker. We could have had a longer season. And I also feel that we could have had Formula One back in Australia earlier than we did. But that's, I guess that's kind of an aside because I I do agree COVID is, like a pandemic is such a different thing. It's kind of like we don't, so many variables with it that you kind of can't plan for it properly. You can have the basics there of, okay, well, we mask up, we test. If there are tests that can be done, we isolate. We do all of that stuff that we've now learnt to do. I guess the big concern is we are starting to see some of these natural and man-made disasters coming through. We're not seeing any kind of attitude of learning or response from the FIA or Formula One in regards to how fans are treated. Um, As mentioned, getting refunds is a bit of a pain. Yes, moving it to the next year is a great idea, But what do we do when we go to, say, Spa hadn't have happened again? And then how do we as fans kind of deal with that, that we have pretty much been told by something that we dedicate so much time and so much money to that all we really want is your money. We don't care about your, we don't care about your safety. We are more concerned with sponsorship money, making it look like we've done what we need to do. I think they just need to get their shit together. In what way, Steph? Just get their shit together, figure out what they're going to do and then let people know. But I think fans also need to understand that they don't control everything. So if they make a late call and it was something that was unavoidable, I think you just kind of have to suck it up and get over it. I'm like, what, yeah, it sucks, but, like, you'll have to suck it up and get over it because it's not something that we could have predicted. What about you, Delta? What were you going to say? I mean, we've had a sort of sort of similar experience. with. It wasn't with F1. It was um, with when Nitro Circus came to Brisbane. Um, <laughs> oh. Uh, I didn't go down for it. My, fam- my brother 
went went down for it. They had tickets the year before it got cancelled for I think COVID. Um, and then we finally got through this year, got down there, and the weather was the thing that cancelled it. Um, but I think they had booked the stadium for an extra day. Uh-huh. And um, they had that in plan or in place already so that if something happened, they could push everything back an extra day. And I mean, though that's not always going to be helpful in the F1 world, if they have a secondary time there for a makeup race, maybe later on in the year, or an agreement with all the tracks that if something happens that we need to cancel at the drop of a hat, we can make up that race and come back to give the fans a fair opportunity to support the sport, which, like you said, we dedicate time, like so much time and money to. And I do think that Formula One doesn't always take into account its vendors. It might take into account its sponsors. It might take into account the drivers. But we're not we're not thinking about the mum and pop coffee van who's sitting behind the track so that parents can go and get a coffee at 8 o'clock in the morning because gates have opened and their kids have run off screaming for Charles Leclerc at the Melbourne Walk. We're not thinking about those people. And I do think that fans and Formula One management need to start thinking about the impact that this has on them as well because those guys have to pay to be there. And I think that's a really good point of the direction of the anger. To be angry at someone, don't be angry at the poor messenger. Oh, no, no. Don't be angry at the the service staff or the people running who are there working or in the case of the Formula One, most of them are volunteers. They do not deserve the disrespect. Take it up with them. Yeah. Put it in an email. Right to F1. Don't take it out in the service industry. Yeah, absolutely. Event staff don't deserve your anger, whether it is, like, justified that you are angry. You're not angry at the event staff, the vendors. You're angry at the management of the event. Like, don't, like Delta said, don't take it out on the middleman, on the messenger. On the on the low on the low paid staff, they did nothing to deserve it. They're probably just as pissed as you are. Like again, I can speak from experience. I don't like my shifts being cut short at Suncorp Stadium when stuff gets cancelled on me. It pisses me off <clears throat> because I'm like, all right, well, cool. I was counting on however much. I now know I'm not going to get that. And for especially Formula One vendors where they've had to pay to be there and they're kind of counting on getting their name out, hoping that some of these guys are locals who they might be able to draw up some business, especially in today's world where business is tough. They don't deserve it. If anything, support local even after races or especially after a race has been cancelled because of a natural disaster because they're going to need it even more. I know people that were, like, working turnstiles, working, like, at 2020 OzGP, and as soon as that gets cancelled on 9 a- at 9 a.m. on Friday, like, they're not getting paid after, like, I think it was, like, oh, something like 11 a.m. Friday after they'd, like, finished pack down and, like, all their job. 
all of a sudden that's you know three 10 hour days of money that they've lost and the thing is is especially for say track marshals who where that is um track marshals for those guys some of the caterers who work in the hospitality suites in the paddock and stuff like that a lot of them get shipped in from other places around the country like especially here in Australia but I know that in America you're not necessarily from Texas if you're working in the hospitality suite you could be from California or New York or wherever so a lot of these guys are thinking cool I'm gonna get three days shit ton of money I'm gonna be working somewhere different and then it gets cancelled on them and they're like well fuck now I have to pay for a flight home I've got maybe $200 to my name and I've missed a weekend's worth of work that I could have done at home because I thought this was going to pay better. So I think it's important that we we always need to kind of remember that, especially as we start to see more races and as more races become cancelled. Speaking of races and more of them, has everybody heard of the draft proposed new Concord Agreement? Well, let me let me pull out my my tablet. Let me enlighten you. So Stefano Domenicali is proposing two more teams, and oh, as yeah, of, I have heard that, <laughs> and as of. An as of yet unspecified amount of additional races and increasing the entry fee into Formula One. Now, I'm not sure if this is every year or just in general, from $200 million to a billion dollars. What, as fans, how are we feeling on, let, let's start on the new, two new teams first. How are we feeling? That's four extra drivers. Oh, that's going to be great in a way. Yeah. Like, lay I <laughs> I would love for them to have just one team for, like, the F2 champion from that year comes up and gets a confirmed seat for at least one year in F1, and then after that moves on, and then, say... Could be the... Wild card positions for the second driver. Just something to mix it up. Something a little bit different. Could be the driver in for the year. The other F two champion, the you get two years. Yeah, staying for two years that would even be amazing. But I mean, then there's we'll still come to the argument at the end of probably the second or third year of well, there's only twenty four seats. You know, we're still going to have the same problem of getting drivers into into the division and not so much getting rid of them but you know we're gonna have then four new seats to fill that first year it's gonna be great but after the drivers get time to settle in it might be we'll come back to the same issue of where's these young drivers gonna go when are we going to shuffle around the drivers we're going to have the same issue that we already do have. I think um, there's so many talented, there's so many F2 drivers that are having to find elsewhere going to other series because they're just not getting opportunities in F1. 
Um, I mean, <coughs> Marcus Armstrong. I mean, yeah, Nick DeVries was an F2 champion and then had to spend several years in Formula E before he got his chance in Formula One. Like, there's so many good drivers out there. And with the increased, like, length of a driver's career, I mean, it is entirely feasible that Max has a 25-year career if he stays. That oh, God, long. I hope not. <laughs> I, I need Max. I'm going to speak to you now, my guy. I'm sorry to cut you off here, Al. I'm going to speak to you now. I beg of you, when your contract is up in 2028, just walk away like you've been saying. Go do WEC. Go do WEC. Go win 24 hours of Le Mans. Go to Superbikes. Seek a triple Please. crown. Seek a, seek a triple crown so you can move on. Go win NASCAR. <laughs> I don't care what you do. Go build Quadrant but on steroids because oh, I don't care. Just go away. <laughs> no, I agree. I don't want him to stick around for 25 years, but like if we're moving into an era where drivers can last that long and good drivers can last that long, we need spots. And I I, I do agree, Delta, that we are just going to run into the same problem that those four spots get filled and then, you know, that those four spots are filled and that's, you know, four drivers that also aren't going to move on or, you know, same, same issue. But I think it's better and it's a step in the right direction and, that it's giving more opportunities to more drivers and that's kind of what we need at the moment in an era where drivers aren't moving on well who would we want to see come in as the other two teams other like say mercedes and ferrari get a b team so that they can bring some of their juniors through where red bull currently have the b team do we want completely independents who just purchase power units from Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, Ford, powertrains. I'm not sure how, how they're deeming themselves. Do we want them to come in and be like Audi and be like, yeah, look at us, sick. We're going to do it all by ourselves. Give me Andretti and I don't care about the second team. Just give me Andretti, please. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you, Steph? Do you have any thoughts on potential two more teams and how that should play out, who we should be looking at for more teams. You know, having your Merck and Ferrari juniors be able to come up, probably a good idea. Also, just give a seat to Liam Lawson, please and thank you. I mean, I think I agree with Steph on the bring a Ferrari team, bring a Mercedes team. Because, I mean, Williams was Mercedes, sort of Mercedes B team. Back. And now they've got their own academy. So they're kind of bringing their own drivers in. Don't let Sir Frank hear you say that. Don't let Sir, Sir Frank will be rolling in his grave right yeah, now. They Claire Williams will be rolling in her bed. She'll be like, oh, someone's just said we were a B team. No, well, they kind of were. Hey, I'm took, just saying. They took the Mercedes drive juniors and, like, look at George. Um, and just looking at who's on the in like the I look at George yep. constantly. <laughs> just looking at who's on the F two grid um, and the F three grid currently. Fred, Fred, Fred. I would love Fred, to see Fred. Fred. Also love Fred. to see Paul on the F one grid, but is he a Mercedes Junior? He's a Mercedes Junior. Bro, I've got the Merc yeah. hat on. You would think I would know, but oh my god. Okay, so I, I might have to start following is. him. Bro, you yeah. have to tell me when Kimmy Antonelli comes through. Ah, oh, oh, we're gonna be Kimmy. like 
Cheers, oh, God, for Kimmy Antonelli. Antonelli, I love him. He's amazing and hilarious too. Not the point. But and Ferrari's got a heap of juniors um, coming through. Ollie, then, Arthur. Oh yeah, Ollie, Arthur. Um, I don't think they've got any more in F2 from the top of my head. Um, they've got a few in F3, but they've got lot. They've got a fair few in F4 in Formula Regional. But the one, and it kind of sort of pains me to say this, the one team that probably would, juniors would benefit from the most having another team on the, like, sister team on the grid would be Red Bull. They have that many fucking juniors and they don't know what to do with them. They don't need Stop another team. Them. Stop, Stop saving them. them. They, like, Enzo went from six... Ferrari to Red Bull. He didn't then, have to go. They. This is what cracks me up. They got Enzo, and they got rid of Jayan Darubla, and Yuri. And yeah, and Yuri, but he was the year before. Um, but no, they got rid of Yuri at the end of last year because of his uh, N-word saga. That was before Monaco. Uh, just after Monaco, they got rid of him. It was the middle of the year. Yeah, but it, yeah. it counts as last year. Yeah. They they dropped they, like two and picked up like five. It's and but like Sebastian Montoya, not that I'm angry, love Sebastian. He was a Red Bull athlete first in the middle of the year, and then they promoted him to the junior team. And there's a few of them now that are sort of following that chain as well. So I think you've got to sort of look at the juniors on the grid before we look at who we should get a sister team for in F1, if that makes sense. I think also one that we haven't mentioned, given that Ferrari, like Ferrari and Mercedes have teams that they will like always be linked to, um, whether or not that's you know continuing as much in the future. One that we haven't really mentioned is Alpine, and Alpine yeah. Academy is one of the like biggest, best growing academies. Well, not like you know, it's it's a growing academy. It's actually doing its job. A la Oscar Piastri, kind of. Jack Dillon. <laughs> Jack Dillon. Victor Martin. Gabby Mini. Yeah. They're a really good program. And I think they would probably actually benefit from having that sort of like somewhere that somewhere that they can put their second drivers, given that other place other teams have, you know, deals on with drivers and that sort of stuff. Alpine. Yeah, the last um, Alpine's last two drivers that left F2 both went to teams that weren't Alpine. So yeah, I will Alpine say Alpine did lost themselves because they brought in yeah, they, they brought Fernando Alonso back, yeah. which they never should have done. Like, I'm sorry, Fernando Alonso in a rookie test or a young driver's test? Fuck off. If you've got over 300 race starts, you're not a young driver. He's old enough to be my dad. Fair enough. He's definitely old enough to be Delta's dad. <laughs> Wait, how old? Is he? At, at like a normal 41, age. Forty-one, forty-two. Like we we do seriously need to start considering that these drivers, as you mentioned before, Al, like Fernando Alonso. Yes, he may have taken a year out here or there. I think he's had a total of two years out. He's been on the grid for as long as Oscar Piastri's been alive. 
I think they highlighted that last year at the Oz <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. He started on the grid when I was just born. born. Just like, born. Literally, he started a month before Oscar Piastri was born. Like, yeah. Oscar Piastri has never known a world without Fernando Alonso as an F1 driver. That is something that I think we need to start seriously looking at and going, okay, cool. We should stop that because what the fuck do you mean you've got a 42-year-old driving around in a car that goes 300 miles per hour that's going to fuck him up permanently? The problem is all yeah, sports. You'll be right. Seeing, the problem is all sports are seeing it. Like you see tennis with, you know, Roger who retired when he was 41, 42. He should have gone years before. All sports are seeing increased lifespan of sports people and nobody knows what to do because it is hindering young people coming through because we do have limited spots in all these professional sports <laughs> but if Fernando's still getting podiums I don't know if we can tell him to leave I just think that he should choose to leave but is he getting podiums is he getting podiums because that's who he is as a driver or is he getting podiums because that car is really good and he's perhaps not as shit as his teammate? I was gonna because say, when, him to him, when you look at him in the Alpine, that Alpine last year, was it last year? No, it was 2021. That Alpine in 2021 was a race-winning car. Ocon won a race. A weird race. It was an interesting but one. He still won a race. Let's let's not discontinue. Like let let's not discount the fact that he he got himself into a position that everyone was like, "How did you get here?" And then he managed to capitalize on it. In 2021, Alonso was not capable of doing that. The best thing he could do was try to hold up Lewis Hamilton to secure the win for Esteban. And I think more talking with like Max Verstappen. I know he's already made a heap of rules the junior drivers coming through um, but having them coming in so young and staying for so long does that mean we need to start pushing the younger categories back because as of now you can't I think only Sweden is the only place that before the age of 15 you can get in a single seater car and drive around on track I think Sweden's like 14 or something but should we be looking at then pushing them age groups back and saying, you know, you need to slow down pushing the licence for F1 back from eight, eight, forward from 18 to maybe 22 or something? I was so going to say... We're not having this issue coming, like, moving forward. That's, that's, that's a very good point because hypothetically, say, Ollie Berman ends up winning the championship this year. Touch wood, he doesn't. Uh, Ollie, we love you, but we don't want you to win because you've got nowhere to go. But say he wins, he's 18. What's he going to do? Is he just going to head straight into an F1 seat and he's going to be there until he's 40? I mean, I I wouldn't argue with that just because I don't understand. (laughs) But but then we run into the same problem that we're having with Alonso. I mean, Lewis Hamilton was, what, 17? turning 18 that year, I think, when he came in, in 2007, four, three and a half years off of, like, him being around for 20 years. That's a massive time. And considering that they're talking a multi-year contract for Lewis, we could very well reach 20 years of Lewis Hamilton on the grid. Back with your Ollie comment, 
also he did skip a section of the the normal ladder that you go up, which is also a reason why he's so young in the series. Oh, we've also got Jack Crawford, who is again a same bit age, older than him. So. Yeah, like. F2 is such a weird kind of mix of you've got Arthur Leclerc, who's 23. You've got Roy Nassani, who's been there for almost as long as fucking Oscar Piastri's been alive, but he's been racing pretty much Oscar's entire career. Mate, time for you to fuck off too. I agree. Move on. Like, he's 30. And then we've got Roy Nassani as a 30-year-old racing Ollie Behrman, who only recently turned 18. You've got Arthur Leclerc racing 25-year-old Ralph Boschong and 23, 24-ish Teo Porcher, who's been around for a couple of years. You've got 21-year-old Jack Doohan. Like, a lot of these guys are in their early 20s, but they are the, the ages are kind of staggered and we sort of don't know where they are at in terms of some of them could have skipped. Some of them might have come in a bit later because of the fact that, say, in Arthur's case, the funding dried up a bit and things were put on hold until funding could be secured and then he came back. J.M. Correa, where he came back after a massive accident and George came in at a pretty young age. Lando is pretty young. I mean, Yuki was, what, 20 when he came in? Joe is still pretty young. Like, these guys are going to have... They're going to have pretty lengthy careers. I think there's two points the first is like whether we allow tighten up on people sort of skipping steps in terms of like max being put straight into an f1 car after like a very very short single seater career before that or people you know skipping f3 f2 to make them older by the time they do get to f1 my other point is Yuki starting at 20 and whether there's something to say that the improvement we've seen since his like rookie season to now is monumental and I don't know whether there's something to say that maybe some of that is just maturity some of that could have come in a series like F2 rather than F1 it seems kind of a greater improvement than like the natural rookie improvement sort of scale And I think if we're putting them in F1 so young and so kind of raw that they're improving that much, maybe that improvement can be made in other series. So they're not coming into F1 so early. I mean, in Yuki's case, he was kind of brought in to replace Alex Albon, who came in to replace Pierre, like was kind of brought in to replace Pierre Gasly because Daniel Ricciardo left. That was a situation that it was kind of like, oh, wait, hang on. Red Bull sort of scrambled. In regards to could that, like, does the maturity come within uh, racing in, like, F2 or something? I think for some it does. For some it doesn't. Um, I'm going to have to use Max. Like, I know his junior career was, like, his first five years F1. But realistically, Max didn't mature until he was in a title fight. And even then, you could make the argument that he didn't mature until after he won that title. He then goes on and he's still playing some stupid little games in 2022. He's still doing some stuff that you're sitting there going, mate, you're a world champion. What the fuck are you doing? Why are you racing Mick Schumacher for P9 and potentially rush, like rushing him off the road? 
there's no need. You know you don't need to do that. You're just doing it because you can. So, like, I think we we finally got to a point where two-time world champion Max is a lot more mature than 2020 Max. Part of it is an age thing because some of these kids, as we all know, we're all female. We mature differently than men than boys do and, and men do. And they all mature at a later age than we typically do. We're, what, 21? They're 25? Are you telling me I'm meant to be mature? I'm telling you that medically speaking, <laughs> that's what the that's what the experts say. I well, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> no. But I mean, if we're going based off of the fact that men's age, men's brains stop developing at the age of 25, it makes sense that we didn't really see a mature Max until last year. He's the same age I am. We didn't turn 25 till last year. Should we be looking at, okay, well, this is where science is starting to come into play and do we start looking at like you need to show us that you can get into a a title scrap and go wheel to wheel with a seven-time world champion or a two-time world champion or a no world champion and you're not just going to push them off the track you're not just going to resort to dirty tactics that you learn in f2 here's some food for thought i know me and chelsea have spoken about this a few times but and obviously none of us i'm not a race car driver I don't know what the difference between the cars are performance-wise. I've heard from, I think Jack Crawford it was, said, you know, the F2 cars compared to the F3 cars are a complete different ball game. Like the F2 cars, you're backwards before you know you're sideways. And I can't remember who said, you know, getting in an F1 car compared to an F2 car is insanely different. Would it be worthwhile for them to have a more... A higher junior series for the F2 drivers to come to and say, oh, you know, drive restricted versions of an F1 car run by like maybe one person per team of like a junior of each team in a series where they're in restricted F1 cars so they get that time to be able to mature in the car before then stepping up further to F1. I think that was largely the purpose of the rookie FP1 sessions. I, I think the rookie FP1 sessions are fine and they are good, but I think it's what an hour. Like often you get one session, sometimes you get two. That's one hour, two hours in an F1 car and then, you know, potentially being thrown in the next year. More testing with young drivers rookie drivers like that kind of stuff more sort of that sort of stuff giving these young drivers chances in f1 cars is so important that even with like the fp1 sessions they're all being used for tire test like race run sort of that sort of like setup testing by teams rather than just letting these kids drive which was you know largely their purpose but yeah giving them more time in f1 cars because yeah oscar said stepping in an f1 car i think liam when he was doing testing said the same thing it's so different like you think it'd be the same it's just a faster version of the same car but it's just not at all you have like power steering differences and all that kind of stuff giving them chances and opportunities i don't know whether 
the best way to do that would be like a like a mini series in a in a restricted F1 cup, but just like something to mature with them. This has just reminded me. I've in like the F1 voice like community thing, and one of their questions were after the sprint weekend, how would you best like increase the entertainment or something? Make the sprint weekend just of like rookie drivers. Like each team has to put one rookie driver in. That would even just for the sprint race make it chaos. Well, team, I hate to have to wrap it up there, but that is all the time that we have for this particular podcast. Come back uh, next week. We will be talking about race results and other random topics of discussion. Uh, We will see you all in the next one. Nap out. Nap Nap out. out. Nap out.